Hey everybody, it's Will here, and thanks for tuning into another episode of the Tea Podcast. In this episode, we're gonna keep the series going and taste every single tea in the Mega Green Tea Sampler. So this is one of the most popular products at Neo, and this is the Mega Green Tea Sampler, uh, featuring 26 of our best green teas sourced from all over Japan. So with this green tea sampler, you'll get the opportunity to try all sorts of different sencha, gyokuro, matcha, hojicha, and kukicha all in the same place. And what I wanted to do is actually walk you through with an audio guide of each individual tea so we can taste it together and I can tell you what to look for and a little bit about the background of this tea, maybe some stories about finding it in Japan um, and my first experiences with these teas. So let's go ahead and move to the Gyokuro Sasahime. So this is gonna be one of those narrow silver packs uh, in the Mega Green Tea Sampler. Uh, there's five teas that look like this and they're all from Mr. Sakamoto, a really talented farmer in Shibushi in Southern Japan. And last episode, we tasted the Gyokuro Cha Musume, uh, which is the most popular Gyokuro that we have. This one is the second most popular. So this is the next level up. The Gyokuro Cha Masume is the kind of entry-level Gyokuro, the beginner's Gyokuro uh, at Nio, and this one is kind of the intermediate-level Gyokuro. And the reason I say that is because this is actually a blend of three different cultivars. So with the Cha Masume, we talked a little bit about tea cultivars. These are kind of similar to varietals in wine. Um, basically, the different tea breeds or different tea varieties um, that yield slightly different flavors. So. The Yabukita is by far the most popular cultivar in Japan. Um, and then uh, it's also blended with Okumidori and uh, Saimidori. So by adding the Okumidori and Saimidori to this uh, tea, you're balancing it out a little bit. So it's gonna be a little bit smoother and a little bit sweeter. Okumidori is known as being incredibly smooth um, and kind of a little bit uh, fruity almost and um, the Saimidori is known as being a lighter, sweeter cultivar. So by blending these three teas together, uh, you're creating a lot more of a balanced and complex gyokuro. So we're gonna go ahead and just kind of pour the leaves out here so we can take a look at them. Um, as I said before, I find it's a really enriching experience to kind of enjoy all aspects of a tea. So not just the flavor, but also the aroma, um, the, uh, the appearance of the tea leaves. All of these kind of tell the story of the tea. Uh, so this particular story is around the needles of the tea leaf. Uh, and these are actually produced in an intensive production process where uh, the tea is is steamed and then it's rolled into these tight needle shapes and like I said before this is gonna make them a little bit harder to open up so you're gonna want to um, brew this tea for two minutes instead of the standard one minute that we recommend for most teas and just a short recap on Gyokuro uh, Gyokuro is considered to be the highest quality leaf tea in Japan it was once reserved exclusively for the Emperor um, because it actually retains its flavor for the longest period of time. Um, it can be aged and still retain its flavor, and that made it really appealing before the invention of refrigeration. Um, so this is a shaded tea. It's shaded for the longest period of time, um, cut off from the sunlight, so the uh, tea is able to develop uh, more theanine, 
uh, and more of these sweet and savory characteristics that a lot of people enjoy in a tea. Um, so this makes it very unique, uh, very powerful, and it's typically prepared slightly differently. So as far as temperature goes, instead of the typical 160 Fahrenheit, you're going to want to use 140 or 60 degrees Celsius. And uh, you're actually going to want to use a little bit less water. I'd say almost half the amount of water. And you're going to want to brew the tea for two minutes. And this, these parameters may not seem that important, but I have recently tried to prepare this tea with 160 degrees Fahrenheit and it came out quite bitter. So if your gyokuro is a little bit bitter, check the temperature. Chances are you're brewing it just a little bit too hot. So today I am using this awesome Kyusu teapot that I picked up in Japan in my last trip in November. Um, so I was actually kind of wandering around Tokyo uh, as I do between tea farm visits um, Just looking for certain things to do. I like to I don't normally like to shop But when it comes to tea, I'm kind of a shopaholic. So uh, I like to look for different teaware I like to look for different types of teas around Tokyo It can be quite difficult because even though Japan is a tea dominant society uh, versus the coffee dominant society of the US that I I'm originally from. Um, even that being said, it is still difficult to find good quality tea in Tokyo. Um, however, there are a few places that I can definitely recommend, so feel free to reach out to us and ask for recommendations. Uh, but one little tip, one little travel tip I'd like to uh, talk about briefly is uh, Skiji Market. So you may know Skiji Market from these kind of giant tuna that sell for like a million dollars that maybe you've heard about, um, but it's a lot more than that. It's, it's a series of markets that kind of have, uh, they're kind of selling everything that has to do with food. So if you're looking for uh, something like a teapot or teaware, uh, like little tea bowls, teacups, stuff like that, I would actually recommend giving Skiji Market uh, a, a little look because um, here you can find great teaware without the traditional teaware tea store markups. So for instance, you can get little, uh, nice little bowls that work as, uh, tea bowls, like, you know, matcha bowls, uh, for like $3 or something. And you can find teapots for, you know, maybe $15 that work quite well. So, uh, if you're kind of bargain hunting in Tokyo, I would check out Skiji Market, especially if you're looking for things like teaware and even like cooking utensils, they definitely have. Um, so that's a little tip that you can use. And that's where, and that's where this little teapot comes from. It's pretty simple. Um, it does have the metal strainer, um, which I think does a little bit better at not clogging when you're pouring the tea, and they tend to be cheaper as well. So one of the reasons I like this tea, one of the reasons I like this teapot is because it has such a large opening in the top, and you can really see what's going on in here. Um, so I like to look at and watch the leaves open up as they're brewing. Um, and this is kind of, if you're just trying to eyeball it, maybe you don't have a timer, you can kind of see from the, just the appearance of the leaves that they're opened up completely. Um, chances are it's done a pretty good job of extracting the flavor. So I'm going to go ahead and pour this out. And uh, 
compared to the Gyokuro Chamasumi, I'm noticing a greener color for sure. A little bit clearer, I would say. Uh, maybe about the same. It's still kind of like this translucent greenish yellow color. Wow. Yeah, this um, this is much different. You know, so I, I've tasted both these teas quite a few times, but I've very rarely done a side-by-side -side comparison. And since I just recently tried the Chamasume, it's fresh in my mind, and uh, I really know what to look for here. And what I'm seeing is that there's a lot less saltiness with this tea. It's a lot smoother. It's kind of like... It's interesting because the... The Chamasume actually, it had quite a bit going on. There was the saltiness, there was the seaweed flavor, there was the vegetal flavor. This one's a lot more concentrated and focused into this smooth umami flavor. Wow. I'm definitely noticing, as far as like the vegetable notes that I can pick out, it's kind of got like a nice cool cucumber note. Maybe a little bit of this asparagus, some of these darker greens. Um, but I think that, that cucumber note is pretty apparent. So yeah, I'm, I'm noticing kind of more of a focused, almost more of a focused beam of flavor in this Sasahime. Um, but it's a lot smoother. It's a lot less of the saltiness. It's a lot less of this kind of uh, more brothy flavor. If you'll recall the last episode we did with the Chamasume, I invoked uh, miso soup a lot because it's kind of got this salty, savory, seaweedy kind of flavor to it, uh, the chamasume. But this I don't get with this one. I get more of, uh, you know, this cool cucumber note. I get a little bit of asparagus. And yes, it's very powerful on the savory umami note. So this is one of the reasons why this tea performs better as a cold brew. Um, because it's got this, this, these sweeter and smoother qualities to it um, that the the chamasume doesn't quite have. Chamasume is a little bit, a little bit harsher, I, I must say. So I'm not sure how you guys ended up brewing this tea, but I used less water, um, which is traditional for, you know, tea houses in Japan when you prepare gyokuro to use a very small amount of water, and this really concentrates the flavor into a smaller space and really makes it a, a quite enjoyable experience because it's it's so dense and thick and heavy on the palate. They almost describe it as almost having like an oily kind of quality, like an olive oil. It kind of just dances on the tongue, it glides over the tongue. And when you enjoy a gyokuro, it's not just about the flavor, it's actually how the flavor and the, the tea interacts with the palate. So you hear mouthfeel, this is basically how the tea feels in the mouth, um, and this is this is completely independent of of flavor. It's, it's the heaviness of the tea. It's the qualities, how it interacts with the tongue. Does it glide over the tongue? Does it quickly just kind of um, you know shoot over the tongue? And um, and one of the things that that I was taught when we visited Mr. Sakamoto is he 
he prepared these really tiny tea glasses. And this is something you'll get used to um, if you travel in Japan a little bit looking for tea. Uh, they use very small glasses. And um, when, I talk, when I talk about this with my family, uh, you know, they're always like, why can't I just have a big glass of this tea, you know? Um, but I explained to them that in Japan, they use these tiny little glasses as a way to really appreciate the tea even more because uh, it's really not meant to be kind of gulped down. You're meant to take tiny little sips one at a time and um, really appreciate how the flavor interacts with the palate, but also how the texture interacts with the palate. And when you have a small glass, like the ones they use, like the ones Mr. Sakamoto introduced to us, you're kind of forced to drink very, very slowly because you don't have a whole lot. So here we're talking about an interesting concept. If I were to give you a lot of tea, you would probably drink it quite fast. But if I were to give you a small, tiny little amount of tea, you would be forced to really appreciate it and savor it and drink it very slowly. And that's what Sakamoto did when we visited. Uh, he gave us these tiny little cups to drink the gyokuro. And this forced us to really analyze uh, the texture of the tea as well as the flavor. And then, and then what Mr. Sakamoto did is he actually served us an even higher grade of gyokuro and we used even smaller cups to savor this flavor. So this really just emphasized the point even more. Uh, you know, higher quality teas are meant to be savored even more. So this is something I would encourage you to kind of play around with a little bit. Um, maybe you want to enjoy the tea both as a uh, large glass, but also as a tiny little cup to kind of savor every single sip of that tea. So now we're just about finishing up the first steeping of the Kyokuro Sasahime. And I have to say, I really am liking this tea a lot more than the Chamasume. Both of the teas are incredible, don't get me wrong. Um, but the Sasahime just has a little bit more of this kind of consistent, um, concentrated flavor that works really well as an intense uh, as an intense brewing. So perhaps the Chamasume might be good as a, as a beginner's Gyokuro uh, because it works well in a larger quantity of water. But when you get to the more immediate level uh, Gyokuro Sasahime, um, this tea really stands up better to this kind of intense uh, small amount of water that I used to brew the tea. This tea is like liquid gold right here. It's so incredibly powerful and, and I can just get a sense of, of how valuable it is. So in case you, you can't tell by the way I'm talking about these teas, Gyokuro is actually my favorite uh, variety of, of green tea or tea in general because it's so unique. There's really no other tea that can do what Gyokuro can do, in my opinion. It's, uh, it's so strong, it's so dense. And it really... Other teas come close, like a Kabusecha maybe, um, but they don't quite hit these savory, umami, and sweet flavors like the Gyokuro can. In case you can't tell, I'm really taking my time on this tea. It's uh, you know, a small amount of liquid, but I'm really just taking tiny little sips and savoring every single moment of it. So this is a good tea to start off your morning with. It's actually the highest caffeine tea of all the leaf teas that we have, um, is these Gyokuro. So if you're not really a big fan of matcha, but you're looking for this caffeine boost in the morning, 
I would definitely go for the Gyokuro. It's really going to set you up and carry you out throughout the entire day. This is actually the second Gyokuro I've drank today, and I'm really starting to feel the, uh, the caffeine buzz. This tea really is quite powerful. Anyways, I'm on my last sip of the Gyokuro Sasahime, and uh, I'm going to pour a second steeping of this tea. And I'm just, I'm just going to use 20 seconds for the second steeping because the first steeping was all about opening up the tea leaves. Um, they're kind of rolled in these tight needle shapes and you need a full two minutes to open them up so they can fully release their flavor. But after that, they've, they've kind of maximized their surface area. They're completely opened up, so you just need 20 seconds and you should be able to get a pretty strong brewing out of that. Second steeping is looking a lot greener. Uh, similar translucency, so so it still looks very dense. There's a lot of kind of these dissolved solids in the water. Hmm. It's actually starting to taste more like a sencha. It's it's lost a lot of these uh, savory flavors, but it's still sweet and it's still vegetal. I would say it's starting to taste like a little bit of a drier sencha. When I say a drier tea, I'm referring to an unshaded sencha. So um, when the tea plant is exposed to sunlight, it's going to convert this sweet and savory theanine into a bitter astringent uh, catechin. And uh, these catechins are kind of what creates this astringency in a tea. It's If you want to get scientific about it, it's going to bind with the protein in your uh, saliva and it's going to actually cause your mouth to pucker a little bit. So um, this kind of creates a drying sensation in the mouth. And that's kind of what you're experiencing when you drink a, a dry tea. And I'm noticing that a little bit more in the second steeping. The first steeping was very smooth and savory. Second steeping is a little bit drier. I'm noticing a little bit of this grassiness, I would say. Uh, maybe a little bit of like this baby spinach type of note we like to say. So one of the ways I like to describe Japanese green teas is kind of steamed vegetables because not only are, <laughs> technically tea is a steamed vegetable because it's the leaves of the tea plant that are then steamed. Um, so it's a little bit of a play on that, but also it kind of tastes a lot like a steamed edamame or steamed uh, green beans or you know steamed asparagus things like that it's kind of like a it's kind of like a nice uh, like smoother less bitter uh, version of these vegetables so second steaming was really good you're definitely going to notice a drop off in flavor but even so you're going to want to use these leaves multiple times instead of just throwing them out um, and this is something I kind of learned the hard way after wasting a lot of good teas um, even though the second steeping isn't quite as good, it's still better than water. So, you know, keep brewing your tea until it loses flavor. That's my tip. I'm going to brew this for a third time. So third steeping is just going to be another drop off in flavor. It's, it's flavor still going to be there, but it's going to be getting weaker and weaker. But in addition to just getting weaker, the flavor can often change. So if you look at a fukumushi or deep steam tea, for example, the first steeping is gonna be light and sweet, and the second steeping is actually gonna get a little bit stronger. It's a little bit more sour. It's a little bit more 
um, strong on these vegetal notes and, and obviously the color is going to get greener as well. Um, so this is something a little bit unique. It's the one example I can think of um, where Japanese green tea goes from a weaker, lighter brewing in the first steeping to a stronger brewing in the second steeping. Um, there is another style of tea preparation um, where you do incredibly short steeping times. So you do 5 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, um, and there the flavor will actually get stronger in the second and third steeping. But this is mostly used for Chinese teas, so we're not going to get into that now. So third steeping of the Gyokuro Sasahime is just a little bit greener than the, the first steeping. It's starting to lose its color a little bit as well. I think it's getting a little bit more transparent, a little bit less dissolved solids. It's really nice though, it's, it's very smooth, it's quite watery for lack of a better word. It's something that you could kind of maybe serve with some ice cubes and kind of drink that throughout the day. Definitely very hydrating. And that's one, one thing that you can use these later brewings for. Um, while the first brewing is really powerful and intense and you kind of want to take a little sip at a time and really savor it like a fine wine, uh, the second and third brewings, in my opinion, are, are just a little bit too weak to do that. Um, but they are quite enjoyable. So what I would do is I would pour yourself um, a big glass of these and just kind of sip them throughout the day. So if, if you find that you want something a little bit more than water, a little more flavor in your life, uh, second or third steepings can be good for that. They're going to be a lot lower in caffeine, so you can drink them later on in the day. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll have the first steeping in the morning, and then keep that pot out for a couple hours and then have a second steeping later on in the day. Um, and that's for when I want tea, but I don't necessarily want the caffeine. So like the Chamasume, the Sasahime was also inspired by one of Sakamoto's original watercolors. Um, so if you're listening to the last episode, you'll know that in addition to being a talented tea farmer, Mr. Sakamoto is also a very talented artist as well. So when you go visit his tea farm in Shibushi, in his office, there's all these beautiful watercolors hanging up. And um, one of them was the inspiration for the, the cover art of the Chamasume. And the other is the inspiration for the Sasahime. And uh, just a little side note about the names. Chamasume means the daughter. Uh, Sasahime is the princess. And uh, Chamejin, which is our most premium gyokuro. Uh, that's the master. So these are different levels of tea that he uh, categorized himself as a beginner's tea, a more intermediate tea, and then the master's tea for true uh, gyokuro connoisseurs. So maybe someday we'll be at that level, but for right now we're enjoying the, the sasahime. So as this is the second Sakamoto episode, I'll give you a little bit more detail about uh, the story of Mr. Sakamoto. And that is in regard to uh, how he took over his family tea farm. Um, so Mr. Sakamoto has had this tea farm that's been in his family for a couple of generations. So there's a photo that Mr. Sakamoto likes to show when you visit his tea field. And um, this is a nice picture of his whole extended family um, back in the day, uh, kind of running the tea farm. And you can see him as a little boy, um, you know, kind of 
growing up around tea, tea cultivation, learning all the different methods of producing some of the best green tea in his area of Shibushi. And um, over the years, he started taking on more important roles in the in the family tea farm. And something tragic happened, and, and that was that certain family members of his were experiencing uh, symptoms of cancer. Um, so his mother was affected and his niece was affected as well um, later on in life. And um, this weighed really heavily on him. And he asked himself, what could it possibly be that was causing all these conditions in his family? And one of the things that he arrived at was all the chemicals that they were putting onto the field. This is a recurring theme uh, with some of the farmers we visit. They uh, they often have family members working on the field and obviously they build strong connections with their family members and and the other employees that are working on the field with them and they really want to take care of them and make sure that they don't have any uh, they're not exposed to any chemicals or or dangers of any kind and uh, that's why a lot of the farmers that we work with made the decision to go organic and Sakamoto is is one of those farmers he he wanted to protect his family members that were working on his farm, so he decided to transition to uh, completely organic uh, cultivation. And this is actually really difficult in tea cultivation in general, but particularly with gyokuro, because gyokuro has to um, exist for up to three weeks without much sunlight. So this becomes really difficult for Gyokuro in particular because it has to exist for three weeks underneath the Kabuse, so cut off from sunlight completely um, for three weeks. And this is difficult to do without specific methods. Um, and while most farmers would use pesticides in this case and, and chemical fertilizers to kind of artificially uh, enhance the, the, uh, the tea plants to keep them alive underneath the shading, Mr. Sakamoto knew there must be a better way, a more natural way to do this. And so he started to do some research on organic um, fertilizers. And one of the things that he found was um, called Bokashi fertilization. And this is kind of using um, leftover, uh, kind of oftentimes they'll use leftover soybeans um, and, and different types of food scraps to make a an organic compost, an organic fertilizer. And it was his idea to add one additional ingredient, um, and that was actually sedimentary rock. Um, so there's a lot of sedimentary rock in this area, and if you know your geology, you'll know that sedimentary rock is actually comprised of you know, millions of years worth of nutrients that kind of ended up on the ocean floor, kind of compressed into this um, very dense mass. So um, by grinding up this sedimentary rock, you're actually able to kind of unlock a lot of the, um, the nutrients that have built up over millions of years. And he mixes that in with this Bokashi fertilizer to kind of activate it. So you're kind of mixing these two different um, forms. One is the Bokashi fertilizer and the other is the sedimentary rock um, together to kind of create this ultimate organic fertilizer without any pesticides or chemicals. Um, and, <clears throat> and this is what leads the teas to grow incredibly strong. Um, so this is something that he talked to us about at length, um, explaining why his tea is so 
uh, special and why the flavor is so intense. Um, and it just goes to show you how much work is put into um, tea cultivation. It's not just as simple as, you know, planting some tea and picking it and processing it. it. There's a lot of science that goes into this. And while I'm not a scientist myself, I do enjoy uh, hearing these stories about, um, you know, the research and the uh, kind of biology that goes into producing some of the best tea in the world. Um, and so... Uh, that's why Mr. Sakamoto produces organic Yokoro on a level that we really haven't seen before. And we're really happy to have him um, as one of the farmers that we're working with because he is really talented, but also he cares about doing things the right way. And that's something that we want to share with people all around the world, not just sharing his tea, but also his story as well, because um, I think we can all produce food and beverages in a, in a better way, in a more sustainable way, um, and actually produce ones that taste better as well. So um, that's something that's got me really excited about our current project at NEO, and I'm really happy that you all are supporting us as well by listening to the podcast and by following us on social media and trying out some of our teas. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. I hope to see you next time when we try another tea from the Mega Green Tea Sampler.